Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by RCAT. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity. Yeah, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike Branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces. Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually and putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. The, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detailed today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story and we are here to tell it. No. (laughs) (laughs) Just had to get that weird high out of the way. Yep. yep. (laughs) Hi, welcome to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. Today, we're going to talk about Jane Drew, the architect who began the first all-woman architecture firm in London. I'm Nergiri Rivas, registered to vote in Houston, Texas. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jessica Rogers, sheltering in place out of Washington, D.C. Hey there, I'm Lizzie Rar, coming to you from San Francisco. Whoop. Now that you know us, quick disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. Yeah, we are just sharing stories on the information that we find out about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, Please forgive us, leave us a comment, and we will all continue learning. All right, let's start learning. Okay. (laughs) The time was March 21st, 1911. The place, Thornton Heath, England. Iris Estelle Radcliffe Drew was born. Wait a minute. Isn't this episode on a girl named Jane? Well, that wasn't her name the first days of her life. Oh. Well... (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) she had that long name for a few days and then her parents changed their minds and she became Joyce Beverly Drew, known as Jane Drew. Why so many changes? And is Jane a nickname for Joyce that I didn't know about? Yeah. Who knows? I couldn't make the connection between Joyce and Jane, but they did, I guess. (laughs) Three million names cut down to Jane. Exactly. So her dad, Harry Drew, was a designer of surgical instruments and the founder of the British Institute of Surgical Technicians. 
Her mother was Emma Spearing Jones, a school teacher and a botanist. Jane had an older sister, Dorothy Stella Radcliffe Drew, the one with the long name. Wow. Who? <laughs> yeah. What's her nickname? Her, they called her Dee Dee or something. Right? <laughs> Good question. Well, she became a physician when she grew up. Mm. Jane studied at Croydon High School, which is a day school for girls. I thought that was cool because I went to an all-girls school, too. Really? How was that like? It was really great. It felt like a big camaraderie. I highly recommend it. I mean, there was still high school drama and stuff, but in general, I enjoyed school. Interesting. I just can't imagine going to an all-girls school, but I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And I hope Jane did, too. I bet she did. She was head girl, which sounds important. So, mm. yeah. At Croydon, she was friends with actress Peggy Ashcroft. The two of them made a pact that they would become career women and they would never change their names. Hmm. Sounds like something you would do too, Nurjiri. Sure did. Nurjiri Rivas for life. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's, there's a funny story. One time, Jane was going to give a lecture and she was introduced as Mrs. Fry because... Well, spoiler alert, she married a famous architect, but be surprised later when I tell you that. You got it. Okay. So, Mr. Didn't Do His Homework <laughs> introduces Mrs. Fry, and she goes up to him, and she corrects him. And so, he tells the audience, I'm sorry, Mrs. Fry can't be with us tonight. Instead, Miss Jane Drew has kindly accepted to replace her. Is it me, or is that a really lame save? Yeah, what was that? It makes it sound like she was like option B for someone who didn't show up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay. Mr. Didn't do his homework. <laughs> <laughs> After Croydon School, Jane went to the Architectural Association of Architecture, aka the AA. That's that famous school in London, right? Yeah, it's one of the most prestigious and competitive in the world, actually. Famous architects went there like Denise Scott Brown and Zaha Hadid. And Jane Drew. Legends. Oh, hey. She graduated from the famous AA in 1934. She was 23. And like many of her gender, she could not find a job in architecture. She would go to firms and they would tell her, sorry, we just don't hire women. Yet she noticed that all the women were secretaries. So they were hiring women, just not for architecture jobs. So she was like, this is crap. And decided that when she started home firm, she would only hire women. You go women. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you changed the game. Well, before she changed the game, she got married to a fellow AA classmate and they worked together for a while. Had twin girls and then got divorced in 1939. That same year at 28. She began the first all-woman architecture practice named Jane B. Drew. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so what kind of work did they do? Guess what women architects would get hired to do? Mm, kitchens? Yep. Mm. Seriously? Seriously. But she set out to make the best kitchens the world had ever seen. She did a lot of research and found out the average height of British women had gotten taller. So she raised kitchen tops in her designs. And she proposed integrated kitchens that had everything, including washing machines, which was like mind blown ideas at the time. She went to the Ministry of Housing to share her revolutionary thoughts about efficiency so that they could become more standard. And they told her, 
Miss True, saving women's labor in the home doesn't help the economy. What do you ladies make of that? I'm still stuck on the Ministry of Housing. Sounds like some Harry Potter stuff. And second of all, <laughs> that's just some BS because women's labor in the home does help the economy. And joke's on them because now it's common to see washing machines in kitchens, doofuses. <laughs> yeah, to me, it's just super short-sighted and sounds like they didn't want to listen to her. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you guys remember what else started in 1939? World War II. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So... Was she like a wartime architect? Did the war impact her work? Yes. Her firm also worked on air raid shelters for children in Hackney, London. Thanks in part to that work and her growing reputation, Jane served as chair of the Rebuilding Britain exhibition at London's National Gallery in 1943. Another way the war affected her professionally was that her office, which was also her home, in fact, throughout most of her career, her office was in her home. Well, anyway, her office slash home was bombed once. Wait, what? Yeah, I think I thought that was really scary. <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. Well, something that caught my eye immediately about Jane was that she was buddies with a little architect that went by the name of Le Corbusier. Uh, Norjuri, non-architects won't know you're being sarcastic. <laughs> True. Okay, okay. Le Corbusier is a big, huge name in architecture. He was part of the also very famous modern movement. Corbu, as we like to call him, was a founder of the Congrès International d'Architecture Moderne. I hope I said that right in French, but probably not. Sounds French to me. In English, International Congress of Modern Architecture, which Jane went to because she's buddies with Corbu. Or maybe they met there. Well, anyway, that happened in Switzerland in 1928. And then Jane became part of the Modern Architecture Research Group, better known as MARS, which was the British subgroup of CM. And one of the founders of MARS was a famous architect at the time called Maxwell Fry, who, surprise, Jane married in 1942. I am so surprised. <laughs> Shocked. Yeah, shocked. Uh, who is Maxwell Fry and what did Mars do? Maxwell was a modernist architect known at the time for his involvement with the Mars group. And he worked with other modernist architects like Le Corbusier and Walter Gropius. And a lot of the famous things that he did, he did with Jane. So I'll tell you about those soon. Um, the Mars group had a radical plan to redesign post-war London. They had an exhibition and publications. It was all promising, interesting ideas that didn't get built. Hmm. Sounds like a lot of architecture projects that we can only see in books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us more about what Jane did that actually got built. Yeah. Okay. Jane got married and then from 1944 to 1946, she was assistant town planning advisor to the resident minister for the British West African colonies. She got paid a hundred pounds less than everyone else mm -mm. simply because she was a woman, of course. Ay. Even though she was paid less, she worked super hard. Also, of course, she learned the local language so that she could converse and learn from the villagers about what they needed in their homes and towns. She became the liaison between the colonial office 
and West Africa. And then she started having this idea that one shouldn't design buildings in tropical locations like Nigeria in the same way they design for northern London. Imagine that. Incredible. (laughs) She did so much research. She paid a lot of attention to the harmony of design with the environment, responded to topography, incorporated local motifs, studied climate, ecology, and the regional culture. She learned how sun, shade, and landscape were essential to human comfort and good design, which Mm -hmm. all sounds really natural to us now. Mm Mm-hmm. But these were new things back then. With all of these principles in mind, she and Max formed the firm Fry, Drew and Partners, focusing on large scale planning for tropical countries. So that was the end of the all woman firm. Sad moment of silence. But it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) They wrote. Village housing in the tropics in 1947 and tropical architecture in the humid zone in 1964, which became standard works architects would study. Jane was taking them to school. Finger snaps. (laughs) Sure was. (laughs) Actually, among her most famous works, there were a few institutions and schools like the University of Ibadan, Nigeria, completed in 1959, the Institute of Contemporary Arts, London 1964, the School for the Deaf, London 1968, and the Open University, England 1977. Actually, I'm jumping ahead, but since I mentioned Open University, this project was interesting because she was approached by the Labour Party to work on an experimental university in 1969. And if you go on their website, it seems like a unique university in terms of their curriculum and how it works. Well, anyway, and she worked on it extremely fast to get the project too far along before a change in government could stop it. Oh, Mm -mm. those are really unique and interesting sounding projects. Designing a space for the deaf would be really different than designing a school for the hearing. And it sounds like Jane would really do her homework and present the best space she could for any particular situation or people group. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, speaking of varied and important projects, Let's talk about a very famous one for us architects. And honestly, the reason I was drawn to Jane in the first place. What do you both think of when you hear Shandigar, India? Corby Corb. Corbu. Mm-hmm. Me too. I think about our buddy Le Corbusier. It's one of his most famous projects that we learned about in school. But no one told us that if it hadn't been for Jane Drew, Le Corbusier would not have been involved with the project at all. Wait, hold up, hold the phone. What do you mean? Okay, after seeing Jane's projects in Africa, remember she was working in the British colonies, mm-hmm. Indian Prime Minister Nehru asked her and Max to design the new capital of the state of Punjab, Chandigarh. Let's talk about how huge this is. And she was only 38 years old. Oh my God. Designing a city is like an architect's dream, right? To, like, design how population moves, where and how they live, their streets, housing and work and government buildings. I mean, there's video games about this, right? Like, imagine doing it in real life. And she got invited to do that. It's incredible. It's like real life Sims and Minecraft. (laughs) So jelly. Yes. So jelly. So remind us when this was. Oh, yeah. It was around 1950. So English colonialism had just ended in 1947 in India. So imagine the political climate around the project as well. 
Oh, yes. Super complex project. We could talk about it for hours, but we only have 30 minutes to talk about Jane Drew. So fortunately for Corbu, Jane was super busy with the Festival of Britain. And she was also working on a hospital for the Kuwait Oil Company, among other things. And so I'm sure that she told the prime minister, listen, I want to be involved in this. Designing a city is amazing, but I just can't lead the project right now. Let me introduce you to my innovative, super smart and talented architect friend, Le Corbusier. And just like that, (laughs) she convinced the prime minister to let Le Corbusier lead the project and she would work alongside him. The prime minister agreed as long as she was still involved in the project. That's how important she was. Wow. So the prime minister signs off. Corbusier starts to work on the project. Once Jane was done with her previous work engagements, she lived in Chandigarh for three years, along with Max and Corbusier's cousin, Pierre Genaret, who was also a well-known architect, working with a team of Indian architects and engineers. While Corbu would only swing by a few months at a time because India was too hot. Yet somehow, Corbusier is the one to get all the glory. Of course mm. he does. I have a book on Le Corbusier. There's a whole chapter on this project. Jane Drew is mentioned once, in passing, as a collaborator. The chapter starts by saying Corbusier got sought out by the Indian government at his studio. Which I don't doubt is true, but the book so curiously skips how and why the government sought out Le Corbusier. That's crazy. Okay. But can we talk about how in school they shoved Shandigar down our throats, but they never mentioned this woman. It's like part of the erasure of women architects from architectural history. There are articles about this that we can post in our show notes. For example, this reminds me of the controversial case of the Pritzker Prize snub of Denise Scott Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Very long story short. Architects Denise Scott Brown and her husband, Robert Venturi, who are a well-known architectural couple, owned their own firm and published a lot of important work together. In 1991, the Pritzker Prize, which is a very famous prize in architecture, was awarded solely to Robert for work Mm -hmm. that he did with Denise. Mm -hmm. Mm. Now that you mentioned that, it reminds me that Jane was offered a life peerage, which is a noble title that cannot be transferred like meaning her children can't inherit it. Mm -hmm. And she turned it down because in her words, it leaves out Moxie, which was (laughs) Maxwell, her husband, (laughs) which when I read it, that totally reminded me of Robert Benturi accepting the Pritzker Prize, even though he knew that it was leaving Denise out. He even mentioned it during his acceptance speech that the award was as much Denise as it was his. I mean... Is it possible to reject the prize? I know she didn't end up attending the ceremony because of it. And he was definitely vocal that she should have been recognized along with him. That's true. Well, we could probably agree that the juries that make these decisions are prob- are mostly buttholes. But I appreciate uh, Robert for sticking up for his partner. The same as Jane that stuck up for her maxi. Mm. <laughs> yeah. In 2013, he signed a petition Robert signed a petition that the award should be retrospectively shared with Denise. But that was 22 years later. It took a while. I mean, 
I'm sure that's all very political and complex, and there were a lot of behind the scenes that we don't know about. But still, that was a long time. 22 effing years? Learning from Las Vegas is one of the most influential theory books that they also shoved down our throats. This is so frustrating that they waited until 2013 for them to get a petition started. But even then, they just rejected the request because they didn't want to set a precedent of overturning decisions. Mm. Ugh. Yeah, and Learning from Las Vegas, which is one of their most notable pieces of work, is actually mm-hmm. a project that Denise wanted to research and explore. She mm-hmm. went to Las Vegas and then she invited Bob to join her to work on it. So it was her mm. idea to start with. Yep. <sighs> so frustrating, all of this. Well, now that we're talking <sighs> about awards, it feels like a good segue to talk about Jane's accolades. But... I barely scratched the surface of Jane's work. There's just too much to talk about in such little time. Let me just mention a few more projects as fast as I can. Let's do it. Okay. In 1961, she was visiting professor at MIT and she was writing tropical architecture in the dry and humid zones. She was also giving lectures, being interviewed on radio and television shows, and, you know, just being a star architect. She's quoted to have told Max, I have seen everyone. Lunched with Gropius, dined with Serge, drinks with Set, breakfast with Gideon, have started my class, taken part in a jury with Khan. It's all very stimulating and interesting. <laughs> okay, all that name dropping. <laughs> yeah, and funny how she calls it almost everyone by their last name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. In the late 1950s, she started working on a major housing complex for the Iran Oil Company. When the executives found out a woman was involved, they tried to pull out of the project and they made things really difficult for her firm. But the Shah of Iran at the time convinced them to cut the nonsense. Mm. Jane worked on those projects for decades. They did clinics and universities as well. Yet, in 1979, the Iranian monarchy was overthrown and all payments to her firm stopped. The firm had to declare bankruptcy. Oh, no. But don't worry, the firm kept going after that. Yeah. Another big project was the Torbay Hospital and Nurses Residence in England in 1970s. She wanted to be very careful to design a hospital that was friendly and not scary. So she became good friends with the nurses. She even stayed overnight with them. She was really committed to the research. She really was. Okay, now let's talk about her accolades. Will you guys help me like you always do? Sure thing. So she was a visiting professor at MIT, Harvard, and the University of Utah. And she received honorary degrees from the University of Ibadan in Nigeria, Open University in England, Newcastle University in England, and the University of Witwatersrand in South Africa. She was the honorary fellow of the American Institute of Architects and of the Nigerian Institute of Architects. She was also the president of the Architectural Association and a member of the Royal Institute of British Architects. And in 1996, she was deemed commander of the Order of the British Empire. That means we should have been calling her Dame Jane this whole time. Whoops. I didn't want to spoil the surprise. Eh, that's okay. Okay, thank you. On July 27th, 1996, she passed away from cancer at 85 years young. Wow. Dame Commander Jane of the Order of British Empire. 
Who knew that she had so much influence in the world of architecture? It is just such a shame that we didn't learn more about her in school. But I am glad we got to know about her now. Agreed. She did so many things and we knew nothing about her, which is crazy. I wonder if they learned more about her at schools in the UK. Yeah. Hopefully. All right. Time for our karyatid. Oh, you're a cue, Lizzie. All right. A karyatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek style building. At the end of each episode, we'll choose a karyatid a woman who's working today, furthering the profession through her work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. Thank you. This week's karyatid is... Alda Lee! Alda is the owner of Alda Lee Architecture and Design in New York. She also co-founded Designers Assembly, which supports young architects who aspire to ethical, creatively fulfilling entrepreneurship. Oh, snap. I saw Alda speak at a conference about how she started her firm, and it was really cool. She began her firm by herself in 2017. As we can imagine, this was a lot of work. And about a year later, she got pregnant. Wow. So... Halfway through her pregnancy, her firm was a total of three people, I think, and she was at a crossroads. Either she would, you know, calm it down or double down. Yeah. I think at the conference, she explained that they had a lot of work for three people to handle. But growing your firm is also a lot of work, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. The process of like hiring people, training them. Then there's the whole like HR aspect of it all, finding a space for everyone. Yeah. So at this point, something's got to give. The natural answer would have been like calming down for a while while you're pregnant. But she didn't want to lose her momentum and the client that she had been building up. So she went all in. She got more projects. She hired more people and she didn't stop through the whole entire pregnancy. It was go, go, go. It sounds like Serena Williams winning the Australian Open while she was pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that was like Grand Slam. (laughs) Well, Alda's firm has done many different types of projects from retail, healthcare, restaurants, media labs. But the reason I picked her today is because she was the design architect of co-working spaces for women. Oh, like the all-women architecture firm of the Jane Drew early days. Yep, yep, exactly. Mm. There was a wonderful article about her in Madame Architect, which we will include in the show notes. There's so much more I could say about Alda, but we're out of time. Oh, man. Before we sign off, we want to thank CMYK for the music. Check them out on Spotify. John W., our technical producer. And most of all, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Jane and Alda and along with our banter and my terrible English accent and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. We're excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcasts or on Twitter at shebuildspod. Until then, bye! Yeah!
I think she did. She was head girl, oh. which sounds important. <laughs> Do you guys know what that is? I'm I'm Googling it right now. So we. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. It's like they're prominent representative students. Basically, they represent the students in front of students and teachers. Hey, designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct, the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if, if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers if you like. <laughs> <laughs> the official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations. That's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today. 